Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Uh, hey, we're glad that you guys are here. Um, week two of Young Adults kicking off uh, this spring semester the right way. Um, hey, listen, if you have the High Street app, go ahead and open it up. You can follow along uh, in the sermon notes, uh, part of that with us tonight. And if you don't have the app, it's available on any of the uh, app stores, uh, Google Play. You guys can go ahead and download that and follow along. But yeah, we're in this series, What on Earth Am I Here For? So like, what on earth am I actually doing? Like, what is my purpose in life? What is this all about? It doesn't matter if you're a young adult, right? That's a relevant question. You could be in high school. You could be in middle school. You could be in elementary school, 50, 60, 70 years old. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody wants to know, like, what is this all about? Why do I exist? Why does this matter? And what is truly my purpose uh, in life? And it's a big question. And uh, over this series, we're gonna try uh, our best to tackle it. And and we think God's got some awesome stuff uh, in store for us during this series. But I wanna kick tonight off by telling a story. uh, And it's from one of my favorite pastors. His name is Timothy Keller. He is a pastor in New York City. He's a great theologian. uh, And he tells this story. uh, There are two guys, okay? Uh, And these two guys uh, live in a country that is kind of like an evil regime, right? There's a dictatorship, uh, it's an evil rule. And these two guys are part of this rebel group. It sounds like I'm telling Star Wars, I promise I'm not, okay? Just stick with me for a second. These two guys are part of this rebel group, okay? That's kind of rising up against the evil that is being done in this evil regime, okay? And what happens is, is in the midst of this uprising, they actually uh, are caught. And they're they're figured out, they're found out. And what this evil dictator does is he actually takes them, he says, you know what, because of the actions that you've done, I'm gonna put you in prison for 10 years. But on the way into prison, what they find out is that uh, the dictator has actually taken their families and uh, their children, their wives and their children, and he's killed them. And so they're entering into prison, the 10 year sentence, it's like, that's not that bad, like 10 years, right? But on top of that, they have this weight that their families no longer exist. And so as they're going into prison, these two guys, right? One guy, um, you know, he, he just can't see any future without his family, okay? And he starts to give up hope really early on in the sentence. He stops eating. Uh, he stops uh, really interacting with the other prisoners. And, and he just kind of slowly withering away. But the other prisoner, he says, you know what? This is the worst thing ever but I'm gonna dig my heels in and I'm gonna make it out of this 10 year prison sentence because I am not gonna let what happened to my family be in vain. I'm gonna avenge him, I'm gonna keep the fight going and he decides I'm gonna dig my heels in. And so here we have two different guys, right? That have the same experience. You know, think about the conditions they would be in when it's hot uh, in the cell, it's cold. Uh, I mean, when it's hot in the cell, it's hot. When it's cold, it's cold. They have uh, meager portions to eat, just enough to survive. Their, Their bodies are wasting away, just enough water to barely get by. And they're in the same experiences. But what they have different is they have completely different outlooks on what's going on. They're they're having the same experiences, but they have completely different outlooks about what they're going through. And what happens to the one prisoner is that he actually, as, as, the, as the time just goes on, he gives up 
and he passes away during the sentence. But the other prisoner, because he decided to dig his heels in, because he had a vision for his future and that he wasn't gonna let his family die in vain and he was gonna continue the fight, he lived. The same experiences, but a completely different outlook. And I think this is completely relatable to this series and what we're talking about, this question of what on earth am I here for? Because as human beings, we feel like we're really different, right? Like every, everybody's different. You know, so we look different, we talk different, we have different backgrounds. But uh, honestly, don't we have the, really the same experiences? We all have highs, right? And you have holidays and, and birthdays and celebrations and promotions and good things that are happening. We also have hurting. We've got pain. We've got things that we've done that we wish we would have never done. We have low points in life. There's highs and lows. Honestly, the human, the, the, as humans, we have very similar experiences. All of us do. We're, we're united in that, that we have very similar experiences. But what we have very different oftentimes is we have a different outlook. But this is really important because the outlook that you have will impact every experience that you have. Think about that. The way you answer this question what on earth am I here for, literally impacts every experience that you're going to have in life. So the, way, the outlook that you have determines how you will respond to all the experiences that you have, which will determine how do you live your life? How do you live your life? It's all determined by your outlook. It's all determined by your outlook. And this is a big question, it's an important question, uh, one that theologians and philosophers have been talking about for a long time. Everybody wants to know what on earth Am I actually here for? And I think the funny part about it is I think if you took uh, us as a group of people and you're like, hey, or, or just people in general, general, general population, like over the last three years, have you spent 10 minutes where you just sat there and were like, what, am on earth, what on earth am I here for? And like you were just chilling, like you're thinking directly about that. Most people probably haven't spent 10 minutes thinking about that. But I think it weighs on our minds and it's in the back of our minds all the time because everybody wants to know, what is my purpose? What is this all about? And here's, uh, I think when we look at the mental health crisis that's going on around our, uh, across the country and around the world, I think we have to take note and kind of look at that. You know, I think when, before I get into this, I think with mental health, obviously, there is a serious medical side to mental health issues and to mental health illnesses, okay? I don't want you to hear me saying that that's not the case because some people, the way that their brain is functioning uh, and, and the way that their chemical reactions are going on their brain, they're more susceptible to mental illnesses than other people. There's a very real medical side to it, okay? And we don't talk about that enough in the church. But there's also a very spiritual side to what's going on in regards to our mental health. When we look at the rates of anxiety in this country, 40 million people in the United States right now are dealing with anxiety. You know that that's on the rise? There's actually a professor from uh, uh, San Diego State University who's looked at this uh, test that people take um, and it really deals with like their mental health makeup. And they've been doing it since the Great Depression, the same test. And what they found is that people nowadays are five to six times more likely to suffer from anxiety and depression than it was, than was the case in the Great Depression. Mental health, like anxiety is on the rise. Um, and you know, even when you look at a, a store like Barnes and Noble, and uh, I love Barnes and Noble, uh, I always thought, I was in a serious dry spell when I was in college, like where I, I didn't have any dates for a long, long time. And I don't know if y'all can relate to that, um, 
But I was at this point where, have you ever romanticized about like the date you're gonna go on, okay? I didn't even have a girl I was talking to, but I was like, dang, when I, when I get a date, when someone finally says yes, okay, you know what would be really cute? It'd be super cool. I'll go to Barnes and Noble, we'll do like a book scavenger hunt, you know, have some coffee there. I always thought that would be the coolest date idea. All right, Barnes and Noble. And then I got married to my wife, Emma, and the only time we've been to Barnes and Noble was when we were on the waiting list at Olive Garden and Chili's uh, over by Barnes and Noble because all the dates we go on revolve around food. So, um, but anyways, Barnes and Noble, uh, <laughs> their book sales, uh, they found that there was a 25% increase in their book sales on anxiety in 2017. 25% increase. Okay, and now we obviously talk about anxiety and mental health and it's, it's, it's more prevalent in our culture. We're talking about it more, which is a good thing, but like that's an issue. And you know what's crazy too is that uh, in countries, uh, th- this really shocked me, that in countries where the socioeconomic status is higher, when uh, in countries that are more affluent, what's going on is that rates of anxiety are actually higher. The more affluent your, your country is, the rates of anxiety and mental health issues are actually higher. And that shocked me. I started thinking about like, why is that the case? I think it's this, because think about like when we have a cell phone, right? Think about how, how, how much more time we have for things. Like you can literally just order your groceries online every week and just go pick them up. Think about how much time that saves. You can have food delivered to you. You can schedule rides in, and we have more free time, right? And because of that free time, what do we do? We pursue more things. We take in more entertainment and uh, more media than anybody else in the history of the world ever has. And uh, it gives you more time to pursue your career. We have more time to just continue to chase after other things. And I think what's happening is people are realizing, I'm chasing after all of this stuff, but I'm really not that fulfilled. I still don't really know what my purpose is in life. And I think that's why we're seeing some of those problems. Because we're getting to the end of ourselves and realizing, I still don't really know what I'm here for, that that question is still weighing on our minds. And so what we do here at Young Adults, and I say this like every time I speak, and it's true every time, and what we do at High Street is when we have a question like this, we like to open up scripture and we like to see what does God have to say about a question like this? What does God's word actually have to say about our purpose in life? What on earth are we here for? I want to give you our main point tonight uh, up front, okay? I want to give it to us up front, and that is this. It's really just jumping on what Jared talked about last week, honestly, uh, is this, is that we don't, uh, we believe when we look at Scripture that there's no way that you can find your true purpose in life outside of a relationship with God. That outside of a relationship with God, you cannot know what you are truly here on earth for, and you cannot truly know your purpose. So that's the main point up front. And why do we think that? Um, you know, and so when you look back in scripture, and let's go, to, let's go to the beginning of time, right? Let's go to Genesis chapter three, where we have Adam and Eve, all right? These are the, these are the first two people that God has ever created, the first two people to ever walk the face of the earth. And in this, in this passage, what we're looking at is Adam uh, and Eve are in like perfect harmony with God. Things are great in the Garden of Eden. They're united in a relationship with God. Things are as they were intended to be. But what happens is they have one command, that in the center of the garden that they're not to eat fruit from a certain tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? 
And what happens is, is the serpent comes. And the serpent is really just in this passage a representation of Satan. And what, what he does is he says, hey, God, you know, he just doesn't want, hey, hey, listen, Eve, he just doesn't want you to take from that because he knows that your eyes are going to be like, you're going to see what he sees. So that's why you, it's really not that big of a deal. And what happens is here in this moment, this is when we start to see that sin enters the world because sin is any time we do something outside of the command of God. And so in Genesis 3, verse 6 or 7, it says this. It says, the woman was convinced by the serpent. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took from the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And so here we have Adam and Eve who are in perfect harmony with God. They're in a relationship with God. They're unified with them. Things are as they are tended to be as long as they follow his commands. And what do they do? They do the opposite of that and they disobey God. And so what that did is it separated them from God. Uh, Adam and Eve over here and God over here, it separated them from God. And if you look at verse seven, when you look at verse seven, it says this. It says, at that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. This was the start of a cosmic longing for something more. You ever notice that? How like, we, we, we want something more? That people all around the world, we want more and that you look around the world and the things that are going on and it just doesn't seem quite right, that this is the start of cosmic longing right here. And what happened is they became shameful, right? They became ashamed of what happened. They traded freedom for shame. That's what happened. When sin entered the world, freedom was exchanged for shame. And if you, you know this, you guys have felt shame in your life when you're a kid or, or recently or whatever. And when you have shame, it just doesn't feel quite right. It just doesn't feel like uh, you just feel that guilt, that weight, that anxiety of what's going on. So they traded freedom for shame in this moment because what happened was is then they weren't in relationship and unified with God the way they were intended to be. And so when we look at this on what on earth am I here for, we gotta pay attention to what God says happens at the very beginning of time. And so what does our world say, right? Okay, that's just part, and we're gonna continue to look at scripture. That's just part of what God has to say about this. That's not the whole picture. But what, is, what, is, what do like we get told, hey, this is what you're here for. This is how you can find purpose. And uh, I always love January because everyone's doing New Year's resolutions, right? I think it's awesome. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna celebrate people that are doing New Year's resolutions. I don't wanna make fun of that. And it's still not too late to talk about it. Um, and if you've given up, there's still time to continue on uh, in your journey to ha have a New Year's resolution. But I was looking up some articles um, there's a guy named Tony Robbins. He's like a, uh, a life coach, uh, and I don't really know much about him. Uh, I hear that he's very vulgar, like you pay to go to a seminar, and he really gives people advice and whatever. I looked at, like, what does he have to say? Like, he did an article with uh, Forbes, and he says, hey, here's some things you can do to have the best 2019 possible. And I looked at some other self-help articles and see, and I looked at what do they have to say? Like, what is, what, what is, what is like the advice, like the self-help advice that's out there for people about what on earth am I here for? What is my purpose? And you know, it's really interesting because uh, one of the first things they said is that you need to feed your mind and you need to um, just kind of create a growth mindset in your life, right? 
Any teachers in the room? Yeah, I know there's several. Like you hear about create a growth mindset all the time. Like it's the, it's the buzzword in education, okay? And so I, I laughed at that. But it's like, hey, get, get, get wisdom. Get wisdom, strengthen your mind. And what's funny is that that's the same thing that scripture teaches. I mean, when you look at the book of Proverbs, it says that getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. That wisdom is, to, is supreme to everything. That wisdom is more valuable uh, than silver and gold. And so we see that scripture points us to, yeah, absolutely, get wisdom, get understanding. What else did they say? Hey, you need to strengthen your body, right? In 2019, if you'll feed your mind, you need to strengthen your body as well. And, and what's interesting is that in 2 Corinthians, we see that uh, God tells us is that, hey, your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit, and like you need to honor God with your bodies. And if you believe that God is a creator, then like if he created us and exercise clearly benefits our bodies and benefits us uh, with our mental makeup and our mental health, like obviously we would want to engage in that. But that's what scripture points us to, is that yeah, you should strengthen your body. Strengthen your body. Right, what else, uh, what else do they say? Hey, they say, take massive action. What does that sound like? Faith. Take massive action. Get outside of yourself. Look at scripture and you look at the people in scripture, that's what God was all, always challenging people to. That's what God was always challenging people to. You know, you look at uh, uh, Moses and he's like, hey, you need to go lead these people. And he's like, nah, I'm, I'm out. And God's like, nah, you got this. And he's like, nah, I'm not gonna do it. And, and God's like, yeah, I've got you. You get outside of yourself and go do that. They're all throughout scripture, we see people doing this. I think of the story of Ananias who, um, you, you know, he's got to go to Paul who is a, a murderer of Christians at that time, right? We have the apostle Paul who he ends up writing, he has this crazy moment with God where God reveals himself to him. But prior to that, Paul is basically, he, he's just tearing down the church. He's, he, he's, he's persecuting the church. And so people know this, right? That's his reputation. And God comes in and I says, hey, listen, you know what you need to do is you need to actually go and tell Paul something for me. And he's like, nah, he kills people. I'm not, he's like putting people in chains and stuff. I'm not about that, okay? And, and God says, no, you can go. I want you to get outside of yourself and do this. And so we see that that's a consistent theme in scripture. What else do they say? Hey, write down your goals, okay, for 2019. Find a mentor, in 2019. That'll help you have, have some purpose. And what you see is that in scripture, we see this as a consistent theme too. I mean, we just talked about Paul, right? When you read through the book of Acts and you read through some of Paul's other letters in the New Testament, you see that he always had a goal in mind. He would say, if God allows me to go here, this is where I would like to go next. If God willingly, he'll allow me to go here. And we see that there's goals all throughout scripture that people had that, that, uh, that mindset where they were having goals. And what else do we see? We see that, uh, you know, having a mentor. One of the biggest themes of scripture is discipleship, that someone who was following Jesus would help someone else who was following Jesus further their relationship. You look at Proverbs again, the book of Proverbs. Hey, get wise counsel. Surround yourself with wise people. Don't be around fools all the time. Get around wise people and they'll help further you along. We see that these are uh, themes that we see in scripture over and over again. And so I think it's easy to be like self-help, what a joke, right? But what we're seeing is things that are working for people are things that actually get their root out of scripture, out of God's word. This is where that comes from. That's why those things mean something to people. That's why those things are effective for people. 
One of the other things that uh, they talk about uh, is like engage in daily affirmations, okay? And I didn't really quite understand what this was at first because I hadn't really heard of that before, but like engaging like self-affirmations are like, uh, I think there's, a, there, there's definitely some truth like positive self-talk and self-fulfilling prophecy, obviously, but a daily affirmation is something like, hey, you're speaking to yourself what's gonna happen, right? You're gonna, you're gonna affirm what's going on in your life. So I look at it as like, I'm a teacher. Um, and so like, I would be thinking like, I'm standing in the mirror in the morning and, and I'm like, before I'm going to work uh, and I look in the mirror and I'm like, you know what? You're not gonna let that kindergartner make you cry today, okay? Because you're bigger than them, all right? And you're the boss. They pay you to teach that class. And so you're not gonna allow them to bully you. And you are gonna have control of that classroom today. And your classroom management skills will be good enough to make sure that the class is doing what they're supposed to. And you're like talking to yourself, pumping yourself in the mirror. Uh, I'm getting like fired up right now just talking to myself about it. But it could also be like, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, strengthening your physical body. Maybe you're on a diet and there's a donut there. And you're like, I'm not gonna eat you, donut. You know why? I'm better than you, all right? Today I'm better than you, donut. And I don't have to eat you because I did five minute abs last night and I'm gonna look good by the time spring breaks here, okay? So I don't need you. I would eat the donut, I promise I would eat the donut. I have no self-control. But that's like self-affirmation, right? That's positive uh, talking to yourself. And I, I do think there's some warrant to that. But you know what you could do besides that? Is you could speak scripture to yourself. Because what that is, that's God's word, what he said about you. So instead of talking to myself, I'm gonna let God talk to me. So maybe you're someone in here tonight and you've struggled with a self-image issue. You're a guy or a girl and you're struggling with your self-esteem. And what you could say instead is Psalms 139, that you were knitted together inside of your mother's womb and that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. What if you spoke that to yourself? What if you're struggling and you're scared and you're fearful and you don't know what the next step in is in your life? You say 2 Timothy 1.7, you say, God did not give me a power, God did not give me a spirit of fear and timidity, but he gave me a spirit of power and love and self-discipline that I don't have to be fearful because I know that the plans that God has for me are good plans, that he's faithful to me. You can start speaking scripture to yourself instead of just positive self-talk, that it doesn't just have to be a one-way conversation either. What do we have? We have prayer where we can go to the creator and we can have a conversation with him, that it doesn't have to be one way. And so instead of just talking to ourselves, we could talk to God. See, some of these things are good things. They're great things. But even, even the things that are biblical are going to fall short in your life. You could do everything right. You could come to church every, every single time we have it. You could be in a DNA group. You could be in a Bible study. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, none of that matters. Because what happened, we were separated. When sin came into the world, we were separated from God. God is over here, we're over here. And what God did is he said, you know what? I'm gonna send my son Jesus to die on a cross for you. And in that bridging the gap, allowing him to be a payment for your sins so that, I, so that you can be in a relationship with God. It's not, it's not that complicated. The scripture tells us in Romans that all you have to do is call in the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. That if you admit that, yeah, I've got stuff wrong in my life and you believe that God sent Jesus and if you confess your sin to him and confess him as the Lord and Savior, that you're gonna have a relationship with him. 
You can do everything the right way. You can be a church person and a good person and still miss it. All of that stuff is good stuff as long as you have a relationship with Jesus first and foremost. That's where it all starts. That's where it all begins is right there. And so we talked about at the beginning, like, hey, we have the same experiences, right? But what is our outlook? What is the outlook that we have? Because our outlook is going to affect the way that we live our lives. And I want to go to the book of Revelations. And it's a, it's a book that is written uh, by, uh, a, a, I mean, by one of the disciples named John, okay? And John was in Jesus' inner circle. He knew Jesus better than probably anybody else ever did. We talked about that in our If Then series last fall. And so John is writing, he's been exiled at this time, and he's on, the, he's on an island, the Romans have ex, exiled him, and he's on an island writing to, Christian believe, to Christ followers of the time who are being persecuted heavily, right? They're, they're under intense persecution like you and I will not face in this country, or, or we hope not to face, or we haven't faced. They're under intense persecution, and he tells them this. It's like a reminder of the outlook they need to have because what John had had happen is God had spoken to him in a very unique way. And when you look at the book of Revelations, God had revealed some things to John that were quite incredible. And this is what John writes in in this book right here. In Revelations 21, verses one through four, he says to them, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That what is your outlook on life if you have Jesus is that, you know what? I might have some bad moments, but I'm not gonna have a bad day because I know that my eternity is secured and that I have a hope that is beyond this life. And so when I look at any experience that I have in this life, my outlook is that I'm gonna spend an eternity with God and with God's people. And there's gonna be no weeping and no hurting and no pain. So when I get out of, the bed, out of bed on a Monday morning and I have that sense of dread, I get to be joyful instead. I get to be joyful instead because I have a hope in something that is greater. I love how Rick Warren, who, who wrote the, the Purpose Driven Life, which sold a ton and ton of copies in this country, right? And around the world. He says, every day I wake up and I get, I sit up on, my, on the side of my bed and say, God, I wanna know you better today. And I wanna love you more. If I don't do anything else, I wanna know you better and I wanna love you more. When I look at Eddie Lyons, who's the senior pastor here at High Street, the leader of our church, he said, you know what? I developed a discipline that when I get out of bed, I pursue God first thing in the morning. It's the first thing that I do. You know why? Because as Christ followers, we have to have that daily reminder that my outlook affects every experience that I have, that we have to remind ourselves of that daily. I think of the book of Corinthians, where in 1 Corinthians where it talks about, hey, set your, th- set your mind on things of eternal matters, not of things here on earth, right? That that was, that's what we have to do in the morning when we wake up. And then our problems don't seem so big. 
that person who's hateful to, to us doesn't seem so personal of, of, of an attack? That I have something to work for and to live for? It's not, it's not just money. It's not just uh, power and influence and feeling good about myself, but that my eternity is secured. That my eternity is secured. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know if you have a relationship with God, uh, if you've, you've asked Jesus into your heart. Now, I don't know if you, you're someone who maybe has a church background and you feel like, you know what? I, I've been away from God for a while, but he does, I've done some things that he, he's not gonna want any part of me. Maybe you're someone who's in church every week and you, you've got some sin going on in your life that you feel ashamed of. I wanna take us back to Genesis chapter three and I wanna go into verses eight and nine real quick. It says this, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This is the first sin that ever took place in the history of the world. And God's response is not to crush him, It's not to say, what were you doing? He could have dropped the hammer on him and said, he says, where are you? Where are you? You only ask that question if you really love somebody. Where are you? That God's response to our sin initially is where are you? Does he approve of it? No. Does he want us to stay in it? No. But he's asking us, hey, where are you? Where have you been? You can come back to me. So I don't know what your background is tonight, but that's what God's saying to you. No matter if you've got a relationship with Jesus or you don't, God is saying, where are you? And so in a minute, we're gonna, we're gonna close here and we're gonna uh, sing again. We're gonna finish in worship. Uh, we're gonna have some people down front. And if tonight is a night where you're like, I don't know what I'm here on earth for, but I feel like, God is stirring something up in my heart and you're like, I want a relationship with Jesus. Tonight could be the night that changes everything for you. Tonight, right now, you can come up front and pray with somebody and it could change everything for you. Maybe you're someone in here and you just need someone to speak life over you. You need someone to speak scripture over you. I'm asking you to come forward and that someone can pray with you. Bring a friend, pray with a friend. Maybe you need to intercede on somebody's behalf and say, I know someone that doesn't know what on earth they're here for. And I need to come up front and I need to pray for that person and I need to be the one to share with them this hope and share with them the gospel that I can look for their brokenness. And when I hear brokenness, I can respond to it with a hope that is eternal and I can share with them. Maybe you need to come and intercede with somebody. I don't know what you need to do tonight. I just want you to know we're here for you And God is here to respond to you when you come to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to gather in your house tonight. That there's not one accident in here. That we all could have been anywhere else. But you allowed us to be here, to gather and to worship and to hear you. And that you love us and that you have a purpose for our lives. God, use this moment to just work in people's hearts, that you would stir us on to more good works as a, as a group and as a community, that if someone's hurting here, they would find relief to the pain that they're feeling. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray.
Mm-hmm.